we just recently became company number 35 on the Inc. 5000. So that was a massive win for us. You know, 2020 was very challenging for a lot of people. It was very challenging for us. But uh, Catherine and I did what we do best and we just kind of muscled through it. Welcome to Fascinating Entrepreneurs. How do people end up becoming an entrepreneur? How do they scale and grow their businesses? How do they plan for profit? Are they in it for life or are they building to exit? These and a myriad of other topics will be discussed to pull back the veil on the wizardry of successful and fascinating entrepreneurs. If you'd like to know how to scale and grow your business and make more profit, sign up on my website, natashamiller.co, to get on the wait list for my entrepreneurial master's course. Today, I'm talking to two powerhouse women in the fashion manufacturing industry. Catherine Zabladil and Morgan McGee are co-founders of the Vertical Collective, a manufacturing firm that specializes in product design and accelerated development with brands and retailers of all kinds. Previously, these co-founders worked for brands such as Guess, Just Fab, Kate Spade, Coach, Chanel, and Givenchy, to name a few. Now let's get right into it. We have both been in major corporate executive roles for almost two decades, which is crazy to believe. And some of it we were together, some of it we were apart. And I think at the end of the day, you know, we realized that A, we have this incredible toolkit of this global supply chain, access to designers and understanding of how high level luxury brands work all the way down to the super, super big box discounted retailers. And when we finally had that moment of saying, like, we know how to do this, it was for me juxtapositioned with being in a corporation that was quite toxic, actually. And I just had a one day of this reality check of, I can't do this any longer. I'm kind of done. I think I've earned my stripes. And I know Morgan was going through a similar thing at a little bit different times, but I'll let Morgan speak to that. But I think we came together and just said, enough is enough. We know how to do this. We've been making people billionaires for years. Why don't we take it inwards and create something incredibly special that is relevant and do it our own way without politics and just do the workforce way like we've been doing all these years. Your own politics. So Morgan, what is your response to that? I would say very similar to Catherine. It was just, in a way, I sort of felt that I had hit a ceiling with the company I was working for. Again, it was a very male-dominated hierarchy. I had been running a team of 60 people for them in Hong Kong, and it was just time for us to do things better. We knew we could do it better. As you know, with the big corporation, it takes time. Things are slow. People are slow. Decisions are slow. And we just had so many exciting ideas, and we were just seeing exactly what was happening in the market. We were working for very large brands that retail was going one direction. And we were so excited about everything we were seeing at the time with all these direct-to-consumer brands, digitally native brands, and just thought, that's who needs our help. Those are the people that need the product support. We have that knowledge. We have that experience. We have that supply chain. They have great ideas. They have an amazing vehicle for marketing and data-driven services. And it was just 
right for the picking at the time. It was just really all about timing. We felt that it was time to go. How big a jump was it to go from corporate to running your own business, becoming CEO leaders of your own company, learning how to run a business from the bottom up? Was there a major challenge for either one of you? Honestly, no, I would say, because Catherine and I have done everything you could possibly do in a corporation from making the photocopies, sending the samples, doing the FedEx, you know, designing the product, running the manufacturing and managing huge teams. So we did have that core knowledge, but I think the biggest challenge she and I faced was because we both had such a big depth and breadth of the actual industry and what we did that we had to learn to stay in our lanes. And we knew we each had core strengths that were a little bit different. And we just had to divide those tasks and just let the other one run with it. Okay. I love this. And Catherine, I want to talk to you about how you guys defined your core strengths. Did you take a Clifton Strengths Finder? Did you just know naturally? And then where is that dividing line between the two of your responsibilities? Yeah. So I think it was interesting because when we started, you know, we still, even though we knew what we had accomplished and we knew what we came into being entrepreneurs with, with our, this toolkit, the beginning was, we still didn't have the complete picture on, okay, this is exactly who we're going after. This is how we're going to start. This is how we're going to connect with them. So we did a lot of testing in the beginning. First, we reached out to our network, right? Our network, you know, the fashion accessories community is quite small, even globally, right? We all work and travel together and can go to the same shows and markets. But we first tried to test the model on startups. So we really started initially early on reaching out to everybody in our network and saying, hey, guys, here's what we're doing. Here's what's happening. Here is what we'd like to do. Here's the services we're offering, almost like consulting. So we started as like a mild consultancy. Then we started, we had a couple startup plans. and then. Quite soon as the word continued to spread amongst our network of what we were actually out there doing, that we left corporate and we had all these factories and et cetera, we started getting these calls from people who were like, we went to China ourselves. It failed. We (laughs) have spent all these numbers and we were like, why can we cry together on the phone? We spent thousands and thousands of dollars in development and we don't have any samples. We were supposed to go to market. Three months ago, we can't get in touch with anybody. And we were like, wait, we can help with that. And then all of a sudden, it was like, we have a group on the ground. We have Morgan in Hong Kong. It just all of a sudden came together. We're like, oh, wait, we can take in all of these hurt birds and bring them to life, get them back on track quickly. And we also even tested going back to retail. Like we knew everything we knew from our corporate, from our legacy brands was wholesale retail. And we, we tried even that lane as well for a little bit where we were like, okay, you know, we can be a private labeler. And I remember there was just one day I was in a portal for a very big retailer. I was on the phone with Morgan and I was like in the portal and it said, drop down to your vendor and you find your vendor name in the list. And I dropped down this portal and there were, I think maybe 2,300 vendors. And I was just like, Morgan, <laughs> why are we doing, why are we doing, who are we, are we in this process and what's our ad value? And we know how to do that, but everyone's doing that according to this list I'm looking at. So are you wearing an artisan necklace? I am. I have that same necklace. Are they a client? They are not. I wish. We have reached out to them, but jewelry <laughs> is a little bit outside of our main sort of mainline business. 
but it is something that we are always looking at. We do have clients constantly coming to us for custom jewelry, but yeah, I love, I'm, <laughs> I have a problem actually. My, my husband, I have to have the stuff shipped to that office. <laughs> okay, so is there one task or one strength that you guys both share that you kind of fight over? Like, I want to do that. No, I want to do that. And if so, which is it? Nothing comes to top of mind. I think like the main thing, it's always product related, right? We love product. We're product people. We're so hands-on. My background's design. Catherine's done design. We've both done product development. I love taking something from like literally a bolt of fabric and it becoming a garment. Outside of that, we're not fighting over who gets to, you know, handle logistics or... HR with the financiers. <laughs> We've always had an incredibly strong relationship over 15 years. And I think the reason we work so well together is we're very open and honest. There's just, we're completely transparent, like as if we're a family and we're very open of like, you know what, like maybe that delivery wasn't great or cat really your emails to the factory, like it's not helpful. And so we finally found like sort of the separation of church and state in terms of okay, this is Morgan's core strength. Because in the beginning, we did both try to do everything. It was just the two of us in our kitchens on opposite sides of the planet trying to do everything. And that's the reason we were able to lift the business so quickly. But we finally had that moment in time where we're like, okay, you know what? Like, we're ready to now, we've identified who needs to handle what in order to be efficient Mm -hmm. and in order to separate so that we can handle more and take on more clients and find more factories and when that finally came to just its organic time, that was really when the business took off. Morgan, do you speak Chinese? No, I'm going to say no. My Chinese is remove that stitching, change this seam, add X centimeters to the gusset. That's it. I don't converse well. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) I understand. So I'd love for you to talk about your incubator program. What is it and what kind of success have you had with it? So really a big focus of ours this last couple of years has been, we've been a service provider, right? We've been a B2B loyal, trusted resource for so many of our clients. And we love that. And that's obviously our mainline business. But we finally came to this position just based on our growth and the, the, the people who are coming to us and all these incredible innovators that are coming into our company and we're just needing advice that we were like, okay, we are now in a place where we can take a position on innovation not just provide a service, but also now be ahead of the services or ahead of the products that are coming down the pipeline based on trend or need. And obviously the pandemic and all the other things that have been, you know, we've all lived through this last 18 months. And so our incubatorship is, it's so exciting. We launched it last year and it started with a couple young startups that came on board that didn't have VC backing. And we basically coached them through day one, all the way through launch and then beyond and then they become essentially they have the option to become a client at that point or to really just kind of take off and spread their wings but really it's about finding these disruptive innovators not just in consumer goods but even outside of the space right we're doing a lot in healthcare now and wellness it's just so exciting because it really has just opened the door to us seeing all these new brands and all these really incredible people in times of pandemic or crisis or as we've lived through all of us ups and downs in the economy so much innovation comes out of that and when we saw that happening early last year we're like oh, we really put together a program now to take in these brands that 
are probably not going to be able to lift this year and get them there because it's doable. And it's right now people are going to be craving innovation after this is all over. And, and um, doing this on a fee basis or are you taking some equity or is it just a nonprofit <laughs> in hopes that they do become a client? We actually look at it each group individually. We don't take a fee. We do it as an exchange of time and services. And they get to have time one-on-one with Morgan. They get to have time one-on-one with me. They get access to our teams. And the exchange off, you know, sometimes it's equity and sometimes it's just a collaboration where we know that we're helping as women and as entrepreneurs because we've been there and we can hopefully alleviate some of the pain, maybe fix some of the issues and drive the brands forward. I love this. So you guys are a world apart, San Diego, Hong Kong. How do you make day-to-day operations work? Do you actually have a 24-hour company? Like, I'm sure there's amazing pros and some cons. Yeah. I mean, we really truly function as a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week company. It's constant communication between the two teams, our team in Asia and the team in the U.S., It's the U.S. will work all day. And again, they're handling the client side of the business. So they're getting feedback on on samples that were sent, possibly meeting with new clients about potential new programs, anything that we need to kind of go through the day, approvals, all of that stuff. And then that gets sent off to the team in Asia. And we pick it up from there and we go. Days start early here, you know, working with the West Coast. I start early. I'm always touching base with Catherine. Or if there are calls that we need to be on potentially for a new client that most of that's handled through the U.S. and Catherine does that. But it's like something I want you to hear to, I want to get your take on what the production sort of would look like on this. Or if it's something that we'd be able to do overseas for them and not in China, et cetera. So, Yeah, it's pretty seamless. I mean, between technology these days, it works really well. Is it a blessing and a curse? A hundred percent. I mean, you know, as an entrepreneur, you just who's the one staying up the latest or getting up the earliest? Yeah, and it's just both of you. Yeah, for me, it's I'm the one that gets up very early, and then I'm the one who wakes up in the middle of the night and and touches base. And then when we're in manufacturing, there's always something, right? There's 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 always something. Catherine and I are incredible planners and problem solvers. And there is a backup plan to the backup plan to the backup plan. (laughs) And you think you've literally seen everything that could possibly happen in manufacturing and something comes up and you're just like, how? And you just take a minute and you take a deep breath, but we're just really good at hustling and figuring it out and leaning in and working the problem and always getting some sort of a solution. How big of a challenge is the supply chain and shipping right now due to COVID for your brands? This massive challenge at the moment, really. It's truly a perfect storm. It is a combination of bullwhip whip effect along with peak season hitting, along with port closures due to COVID, which has then created backlog in the U.S. and container ships aren't coming back for us to be able to ship again. I can so, see from here, from where I live, the backup of like 20 container ships in line to get to the port yeah. in both San Francisco and Oakland from where I live. And I think that's where my iPhone case is. <laughs> Even just more on a granular level, it goes back to its raw material shortages, shortages of workers, reduced capacities at factories because these factories have had 
18 months of little to no orders. And all of a sudden they're inundated with having to be able to manage it all. And it's just difficult for them to control at the moment. So how do you keep your teams connected and motivated? I'm going to assume that most of you are remote, but do you have offices, physical offices that you're going into as well? Yes, both of our offices are fully functional at the moment. And when we got into the world of the landscape of PPE manufacturing last year, we feel blessed that we were actually lucky enough to say, like, we are an essential business, like, we must stay open. We're a product company. So for us, that's been a huge challenge during the pandemic of sending samples to clients around the U.S. They're all spread all over the place. Normally, we would meet at least once or twice a week with every single one of our clients in LA, in New York, wherever, and go through everything, get comments, get feedback quickly. Now it's very disconnected, but our teams were very cautious of it. And we have a rotating schedule for everybody, both in Hong Kong and in LA, but we we're together as often as we can. And have the two teams come together and is there a bond there? Absolutely. I mean, these are people you work with all day, every day, and Mm -hmm. they are truly colleagues just on opposite sides of the world. Great. So when you were trying to look at what you're going to do this year, given this horrific year past and with all of the challenges that we just talked about, what was the growth strategy that you guys were talking about really paying attention to and throwing yourselves into? So our growth strategy has been truly to go after just constant lead generation campaigns. We're constantly prospecting. We have an entire team here in the U.S. that just focuses on sales. We have a team that even like sits on Instagram and like just looks up cool brands to see like, okay, this is a company that's their mainline business is X. They're not doing any of these ancillary products. Let's introduce ourselves. And we are, again, going back to this innovation that we're doing. We're really trying to take lead on a lot of products that are coming down the pipeline and really own sort of this next generation of what things look like in the next couple of years. So really, it's just constant sales, constantly going after new initiatives. Another segment of our business is on the government contracting side of things. Obviously, we have a lot of momentum coming out of the PPE that we manufactured for many states in the U.S. last year. So we're aggressively going after more on the federal side, federal contracts. Uh, especially are, you, are you a certified woman-owned business? We are. We are. So that really helps with the government contracts. And this reminds me, so my core business is events and entertainment production for large corporations. And I too found myself dealing PPE last year. I sold 300,000 nitrile gloves to a client. How on earth? But we do what we need to do to survive. My client asked if we could do that because one of the things that we provide as a service is branded promo items and high-end gifting. This corporation saw us in their procurement department as just someone who can source stuff And so I got to see the underbelly of the black market of the PPE world, and I quickly got out. I'm sure you guys are doing other things like creating cloth masks and maybe gowns. What are your PPE products? So yeah, cloth masks has been a big one. We've done, I don't know, tens of millions of units of those. In addition to that, we have done traditional PPE from N95s, three-ply masks, isolation gowns, face shields, 
What am I forgetting, Catherine? Are you sourcing these things that are already created or are you design and manufacturing them? It's a combination of both, depending on what the client need is, what the spec is, who it's for. You know, as we mentioned, we've done a lot of state and federal work, but then we've done a lot for the private sector as well, school systems, things along those lines. Hospitals. I mean, it just, yeah. Yeah. So I was asking you about your growth strategy, but when you were speaking, I was like, oh, do you have an in-house design team? Are you creating your own lines? We are. And white labeling or do you have a brand? No, we white label everything. And we're not like to what we were saying before, we step out of the private label world, but we are constantly designing product internally and our clients, they're piggybacking off of that. They want to see what the trends are and they want us to do some, a lot of the heavy lifting on the technical and product side. So we're happy to do it. It's fun, right? You go from just manufacturing to then being like, okay, well, we're actually a very creative bunch of people. Um, But it's fun to bring in artistic and have fun with product and remember that this is what we're doing, right? So go ahead, Morgan. Well, I was just going to say that we also have such a large network of designers that we work with, that we've worked with over the years. One designer is not making a garment, is also making a shoe, is also not making the handbag. So that's part of how Catherine and I have really sort of streamlined the business and worked to people's core strengths and also keep the company lean and very focused and strategically higher that way. Okay, so I wasn't planning on asking you this, but I'm going to. So let me give you an example and you let me know what you would do in this situation. My daughter is a designer. Let's say she has a top, a bottom, a couple of pieces and it's selling through and she's trendy and she could come to you or you could find her and you could say, you know what? I think a bag line might really help plump up your business or margins. other things. Is that what you're doing with some of your incubators is like, you've got a great start. Here are some verticals and other things you can diversify in. Yes, exactly. So incubator kind of two-part series. So first it'll be a client that's basically doing something completely innovative, launching on Instagram. You know, there are a couple of key trends that came out of the pandemic that they, you know, seized, but they were manufacturing it at their homes or locally. This group happened to be in New York. So they were working with a small sewer, you know, a sewing group in New York, sourcing the materials paying a lot for all of it, right? For the pattern. Not very efficient. Not very efficient, but we always tell people to start that way. Like learn as much as you can. Come to us when you are absolutely at your breaking point. You're ready to start making some money. You want margin. Now you've kind of reset. You're tired of just spending so much money figuring it out, which, but again, we always, people come to us and like, I have an idea. We, We also just try it. Test the waters. Any idea? Test the waters. Yeah, and learn and understand and come back to us when you know the terminology. Because this is what we see so often are clients that have gone straight to a factory and they're like, I went into the factory and I told them I didn't know what I was doing. Now we know why you're in this position. So on the incubator side, like for your daughter with the design, with the concept, first we would try to understand where are the price points that she needs to be at with her current line. Can we help if make that process more efficient? Right. Mm-hmm. On the sampling side, is she ready for a little bit bigger production runs, which is where we can go run to scale it? Yeah. I love this because in part of my life, I teach entrepreneurs to scale and grow their businesses. And I know that everyone's looking for a hack and a shortcut. And you know what I'm telling people now? I'm going to tell you what the hack and the shortcut is. It is 
find an incredible advisor or consultant. Take the classes, read the blogs. Don't try to do it completely on your own. I did that for 15 years and I had some success. But as soon as I started engaging with professionals that have been there and done that, it just wiped the cobwebs clear. So I see you guys as a catalyst for designers and brands to cut through all the red tape. I have a friend, Daniel Shemtab, that just created a shoe called Snibs. And I think what he did was he went straight to the manufacturer, made a ton of mistakes, and now is in a really good place. And I think he had some procurement assistance. Was it you guys? (laughs) It was not us. (laughs) Okay. So the last question I have for you is we've been talking about success and we've been talking about all of the positive things with a couple of little pandemic moments. But what is the challenge that you guys are really facing right now that you're just really trying to fix, alleviate, to move forward? I think a couple challenges. One is to what we discussed earlier. A, Morgan and I haven't been together now for two years. It's brutal, right? We do everything together and not to be together is incredibly difficult. It's it's like not seeing family, but also we have to be highly functional during all of this. And then as a product-driven company, not being able to sit with our clients on a regular basis, extremely challenging. As much as you create workarounds instead of having one set of samples sent to a meeting with everybody sitting in the same room. Now you're sending multiple sets of samples to people that are scattered all over the place, but it's still very difficult. Product is very emotional. They feed off of each other. Like, oh, I like the way that feels. Oh, I like the way that looks. And you kind of come to a decision at the end when you're sort of doing it through Zoom. It's this is not really the same experience. And I imagine not everyone's getting their samples at the same time where you thought you could, because there's always a delay. Yeah, Not being able to get into the factories is also just as challenging for us. We've worked with these people. I've worked with these factories for 20 years. And aside from the fact that they're great partners and we work with them all the time, you know, there's a personal connection too. You are worried about their safety and their families and how they're doing. And as much as we have a team in China, we have a QC team that's going into the factories and looking at the product and doing all the inspections. It's not the same as me showing up face-to-face and really sort of working a problem or figuring out a solution to something that's just not quite functioning correctly, where I really need to be in that sample room or the team needs to be in that sample room and kind of just work through those challenges. At this point, you just have to find other solutions. And for producing offshore, it's not the vertical collection. QC team that's able to go into Cambodia and Vietnam at the moment, but we have to utilize things like third-party inspection companies to be able to keep our process going and to keep following that same streamlined efficiency. I think sort of just the big unfortunate part of COVID and this pandemic has been incredibly traumatizing for so many people globally, but really the effects like this bullet effect that we are always talking about here internally, but The continuing shutdowns at the ports, at the factories, different countries here in the U.S., it's all of that is still compounding, unfortunately, and it's driving up the prices for everything. Now, coupled, obviously, with inflation, I know everybody, this is a challenge for, I'm sure, any... Yeah, hearing lumber is really, really tough right now. Lumber is just ridiculous. It's crazy, and I think that's our biggest challenge now is how do we stay on course stay calm, continue to navigate like we've been doing. We've got that under control, but now it's more so as also just 
you know, from an emotional level with our clients, like, you know, still finding that place of you can trust us. We're doing everything efficiently. However, everything now is the costs have been, they're insane. They're crazy. And we're going to work through this together as a partner. However, we do need to work on this together. And I think that's been a challenge. It's hard. You know, so many of our customers have been selling product at the same price point and they just keep driving costs down, costs down, costs down. And now the opposite is happening. And it's, it's a huge challenge. And it's something that we have to figure out and navigate for a very long time here down the next couple of years, if, you know, not longer. Yeah, I was talking to someone in the restaurant industry and this really brought to light there's such a low profit margin in restaurants. And now with people like risking their lives to cook our food and to serve us, shouldn't we be paying more? Shouldn't we be paying more in the first place? And then with products and consumer goods, if I go to buy something now and I see that it's more expensive, I'm going to probably understand why, but not everyone will. And I wonder what kind of education we have to maybe start now by doing so that we can pay the right amount for something. So the person making it actually has a margin. They're not a charity. That's it for me, you guys. Thank you so much. Is there anything you wanted to say that you didn't get a chance to say? Well, I think something we haven't really shared that we're really excited about is that we just recently became company number 35 on the Inc. 5000. So that was a massive win for us. You know, 2020 was very challenging for a lot of people. It was very challenging for us. But uh, Catherine and I did what we do best and we just kind of muscled through it. Kept muscling through. Very, very big number for growth for you to be at that position. Had you been on it in previous years? No. No. My God, you guys, that's massive growth. I've been on the list three years in a row. And I know the first 50 people on that list every year, they hustled because you have to have, I don't know, 20,000% growth to be in like the top 10. Our growth across three years is 8,943%. Amazing. And somebody needs a vacation. (laughs) Yeah. But where do we go? We'd happily take one. I don't know. That is amazing. That is amazing. And this year you won't be able to go to the Inc. 5000 conference, which is so much fun and the gala afterwards. So you'll be on the list next year and we will all be there together. Hopefully not wood, but that's amazing. That is very incredible, especially, I mean, not that we're lesser than, but as the number is 2% of women owned businesses don't do a million dollars or more in business and that's it. That's and it's truly a testament to our teams around the world and our incredible clients that have been so trusting in us all these years. And it takes a village, as you know. So we're yeah, really thankful. We got to hear about the exciting and nail-biting world of overseas manufacturing, the Vertical Collective's incubator, and how these two women made it to number 35 on the Inc. 5000 list of fastest growing companies in America with over 8,000% growth over three years. Bravo. For more information about me, go to my website, natashamiller.co. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you loved the show. If you did, please subscribe. Also, if you haven't done so yet, please leave a review where you're listening to this podcast now. 
I'm Natasha Miller, and you've been listening to Fascinating Entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs.